You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Look what it says here in verse number 10, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I want you to remember 2 Corinthians 10, 4 tells us what? The weapons of our warfare are not, they're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Look what it says in verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I circled that word in verse number 12, wrestle, and then underlined not against flesh and blood. You know, oftentimes I want to wrestle the wrong person. Are you like that? I mean, I'm quick to react. That's just how I am. You know, you're not my enemy and I'm not your enemy. It's not you or I that's the problem. It's the devil. And uh, we're so quick to shoot sometimes one another when we ought to be aiming at him. Verse 13, wherefore, because of this wrestling match that we're in and because we're wrestling against wickedness in high places, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, not just part of it, but you need it all, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's a prophetic day. It's also a personal day when all of hell puts its sights on your life. Think about Job. The Bible said, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I was reading a commentary and he said, there's one more. You need to read verse 18 and it says, praying always with all prayer. And he said, though it's not something you put on, prayer is like our intercontinental missile that we can launch from our prayer closet anywhere in this world or the other. And we can get a hold of God and see God do great things. You know how this is if you have children. If you have children, it's in our nature. You want to shield your children from unnecessary nervousness or things that would make them lose sleep at night. Anything that would upset your child you don't want to introduce them to that early or at the wrong time or without any cause. You know, you feel the same way as a pastor, as a preacher, that you don't want to talk about certain topics too often. I very rarely would preach an entire message on the devil or on spiritual warfare because here's what you do. The more you talk about that, the more you invite it into people's minds and into their hearts. And you'll start to see a boogeyman behind every corner, whether there's one there or not. I was preaching in Detroit, Michigan many years ago now. I guess it was like 14 years ago, and a man came with his new book on spiritual warfare. I'm so proud of it. That man's not in the ministry anymore because he drove himself crazy looking for demons when he should have been looking for the Lord. But I need to preach on this tonight because it's in the text. And here, it is. I thought about this today in the office. When I came here three years ago, I came here for Pastor Trevor. I knew him before I knew you. 
and he and I were friends, and that honestly makes it kind of made it a little difficult at first to work for him because I thought we were you were, were friends. You know, it was, just, it was weird at first. Now I'm used to it. He's been so mean. He's got me beat into submission. <laughs> now I know we're not friends at all. But it's funny over time. Uh, you, you realize what happened after we moved here? Well, not too long after we moved here, this is me being stupid, trying to raise money for whatever it was. I tore my Achilles tendon and was hobbled for, forever. As soon as I was getting back to walking, COVID hit. Remember that? We'd started a Sunday school class and getting it up and running, then everything was just taken out from under us. And then I don't know how you are, but I'm used to living by a schedule, and I'm also used to being busy. And you want to make somebody go crazy and get deep down in a valley, you take a busy person and take away everything that they are used to doing. I was used to being in church almost every night of my life. And then we got to where we didn't even have church except for a few of us in here every once in a while. Not only that, since we've been here, there's been funerals and there's been tragedies and things like that. And I say that to say this, here's what it is. It came here for him, but I think we stay here for you, if that makes sense. And here's what I mean by that. When soldiers go off to battle, they go off to battle strangers. But when soldiers come home from the battle, they come home as family. Because there is something that just ties people together after they've battled together. Tonight, you and I need to understand that we are absolutely involved in spiritual warfare. We are in a battle every single day of our life. And tonight, I want to preach on this thought, above all, faith. Above all, faith. John R. Rice made the statement, and I love John R. Rice. He, I mean, he would be a hero of mine, so I'm not being negative toward him. But he made this statement. I think he probably said it tongue-in-cheek. He said, at the sword of the Lord, he said, if nobody jumps on me in a month, then I find somebody to go jump on. He was just used to being in a fight all the time. And I don't think he literally meant that. And I hope he did not mean that because I would kind of disagree with it because here's how I feel. No sane individual would go looking for a fight. I don't care how big you think you are. I don't care how bad you think you are. If your brain is working like it's supposed to, none of us are looking for a fight. I remember coming home from college and we'd gotten in at college into football and weightlifting. We thought we were big and bad. And I remember coming home and my grandpa's the kind of guy that if he had skin cancer, he'd cut it off with his pocket knife and eat it for breakfast. I mean, he's just a tough old man. He's in his 80s and plays golf every day of the week still. And I remember coming home and, you know, we all thought we were bad and things and going to my grandpa and just talking to him about what we were involved in there at college and how I could, we, our word was whoop him now. And I, it wasn't, I didn't have time to get that word out of my mouth. And he had me down on the ground. I mean, I was crying uncle in a hurry. I don't care how big you think you are. You're not as big as you think you are. And let me say this, as a Christian, you don't need to go looking for a fight because the day you got saved, the fight came looking for you. The Bible uses many analogies to describe the Christian. For example, the word son describes a Christian. Aren't you glad that we're a child of God? The word athlete is used to describe a Christian. We're running in a race. We're striving for the mastery. We're looking to win an incorruptible crown. The word vessel is used to describe the Christian. A vessel is an empty object. It's made to be filled and carry a foreign substance. You and I are to be emptied of ourselves and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're a vessel for the glory of God. The Bible uses the word farmer. We're to be a farmer sowing the gospel seed everywhere that we go. 
The Bible makes the analogy of a workman. We're to be building something for the glory of God. The Bible uses the analogy of a servant. The greatest among you, Jesus said, will be the servant. But also the Bible, and really repeatedly, uses the analogy of the Christian being a soldier. Now tonight I want you to understand that the Christian life is a life of constant combat. Without reprieve, we face an adversary. We have an adversary who is after us, that is the devil. We have an adversary that is around us, that is the world. And we have an adversary that ever abides with us, and that is our flesh. And Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. Timothy is the pastor. If you study the letters he wrote to Timothy. He makes statements to Timothy like this, be a good soldier. He says, no man that warreth entangled himself in the affairs of this life. He tells Timothy to war a good warfare. He testifies and says, Timothy, I fought a good fight. And he's warning Timothy, that pastor in Ephesus, to understand that you and I are not going to be carried off to glory on flowery beds of ease. Rather, it is going to be a fight and it is going to be a battle every step of the journey. And tonight, let me say, church, from a burdened heart and a constrained spirit, I've got to tell you that when you got saved, you got enlisted into the army of God and the battle is on. The the battle has not waned. The battle has not weakened. It is not watered down. We are not leaving in peacetime. There is no neutrality in this thing. It is just as heavy. It is just as hot. And it is just as real as it ever was. Every day you're on the battlefield for your mind. Every day you're on the battlefield for your spirit. Every day you're on the battlefield for your heart. Every day you're on the battlefield for your marriage. Every day you're on the battlefield for your children. Every day you're on the battlefield for truth and right. And tonight if we're going to be winners in this battle, we have to have more than our own ability and our own work. No, we have to have faith in God. Not just faith, but above all have faith. In Ephesians you'll find this letter is more church focused, I would say, than any other epistle in the New Testament. You'll find great words in this letter like riches and fullness and glory. It's not very personal considering Paul wrote it, but it's very doctrinal. When I first got saved, I gave myself to memorizing scripture. And the first book of the Bible that I memorized was the book of Ephesians. When I used to preach, I'd quote the entire book. And now I can probably quote two or three verses from it. Pray for me. I'm getting old. And the drugs don't help either. Uh, but I used to be able to memorize it. There's two distinct divisions to the book. Chapter 1 through 3 is principle. Paul lays out doctrine. Chapter 4 through the end of the book, chapter 6, is practice. So Paul gives us information and then gives us the application. The theme of the book of Ephesians is that phrase, in the heavenlies. I was studying this book in my office on Monday, and I began to dissect it and noticed in chapter 1 and 2, Paul deals with our spiritual birth. We've been born again by grace through faith. In chapter 3, he deals with our spiritual body. We are now part of the body 
of Christ. Thank God for the church. In chapter 4 through 5, he deals with our spiritual behavior. You and I are to be filled with the Spirit of God and walk worthy of the Lord. And then in chapter 6, he deals with spiritual battle. If you study Ephesians, you find our presence is seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our position is now part of the family of God. Our practice is to walk every day in the Spirit, but our posture is that of a soldier that is not looking for retreat but is advancing forward to attack and combat with the enemy. Now, in the text that we read, verse number 10 begins with the word finally. Now, finally tells me big things are coming. With all of the great truth that Paul has given to the Ephesians in this letter, there is no greater chapter nor section of scripture than what he's about to give them here in chapter number 6. He has saved the most paramount instruction for the closing portion of his letter. That word finally tells me it's critical. And the next two words, my brethren, tell me that it's written to the Christian. Here's what he's saying. Fellas, pay attention. You're going to want to tune into what I'm about to tell you. In closing, before I wrap this thing up, I'm going to give you some information. It is not just a suggestion. It is not just my opinion. It's not some take it or leave it. But this is imperative. If you're going to make it, if you're going to stand, if you're going to see it to the end, you're going to need what I am about to give you in these verses. Now, if you think about the church in Ephesus, what an amazing place. It was planted by the Apostle Paul. It was pastored by Timothy. In the pews were people like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and John who wrote the book of Revelation. But though that church had those kind of people within it, this church was in a place where it just wasn't really easy to serve God. If you study it out, You'll find in 2 Timothy, here's what Paul said, in the last days, perilous times will come. He's writing that to the pastor in Ephesus saying, hey, listen, it's going to get bad in the city in which you're serving. They're going to be in a battle. The city of Ephesus is a pagan place. It's a prosperous place. It's a progressive place. It's marked by luxury and loose living. The city of Ephesus was where the temple of Diana stood. That temple of Diana took 220 years to build. There's 126 pillars that would tower 60 feet into the sky holding the roof there. And daily the population of that city would worship that pagan goddess. But not just that. Their cash cow outside of trade was making little dead gods to be used in that pagan worship. You better believe that those Christians in Ephesus knew what it was to be engaged in spiritual warfare and in spiritual battle. So Paul uses the analogy of a first century soldier and he calls for these Christians to be ready. He calls them to action and he calls them to arms. I thought about this. Paul is not writing to a bunch of conscientious Christian objectors. He's not writing to some spiritual flower child who wants to sit the thing out. But he is writing to Christian soldiers that were ready for the battle. Have you ever noticed most of our songs today are about the storm? But historically, Christians really sing a lot of songs about the soldier. We've gotten so soft in our generation, but can I say this generation doesn't need a bunch of soft Christians. They need a bunch of standing Christians. 
And I want you to notice what he tells him in verse 10. He said, here's your posture. Look what he says. Finally, my brethren, look what he says. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In chapter 1, he tells us where we're seated. In chapter 4, he tells us how to walk. And now he tells us to stand. He doesn't say run. He doesn't say cower. He says brace your legs, straighten up your back, push out your chest, and you stand your ground. But wait a minute. He's not saying you stand your ground in your strength. You don't stand your ground in your ability. He said you stand strong in the Lord. Can I say that makes all the difference in the world when you understand your sufficiency is not in you or I, but our sufficiency is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said you can stand in him no matter what comes. You can stand in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then he goes on in verse 11 and says put on Put on. He said, you got to put on the whole armor of God. He's saying, you're going to have to be heavily, heavily armed for this battle I'm about to talk to you about. You don't just need part of it. You need all of it. Put it on. Isn't it amazing how God will furnish the armor, but he does not fasten it to us? you got to make the decision to put it on. Not every day does every Christian put it on, but here's what I believe. Every day I need to go to my spiritual armory, and I need to get out all the armor that he mentions in this text, and I need to make the conscious decision to die to self and be adorned in that spiritual armor, lest I fall victim and be a casualty in this war. So he says, here's your posture. He said, I want you to stand in the Lord. He said, put on the armor of God. He said, here's your purpose. He said, I want you to stand against the wiles of the devil. Can I say that's how it's supposed to be. God's people are to be standing people. We don't pass out an olive branch. We don't look for a truce with the devil. We're not asking for neutrality. No, we stand our ground. Wouldn't it be a blessing if the average church in America was a standing church? Oh, could you imagine? Yeah, you'd get some heat for it, but I think you'd probably please the Lord if you'd stand for something. He said, you stand against the wiles of the devil. He said, there's your position. And then he goes on and says, hey, here's your peril because there's an evil day coming. What's an evil day? Well, it could be prophetic. We're living in the last days and the days are exceedingly evil. But I also think about Job's life. And can I tell you that I believe there's a time when the devil has you on his radar. And the devil gets me on his radar. And all of hell breaks loose on your life. He said, if you're going to make it through a day like that, when everything in your life gets turned around and flipped upside down, he said, you're going to have to have more than just a cute Christian cliche or some kind of Instagram Christianity quote. You're going to have to have the whole armor of God to be able to stand. He said, here's the peril. And then he goes into the pieces of our armor. Let's go down and read uh, through these pieces real quick. He says, here's what you do. In verse number 14, he said, stand therefore having your loins good about with truth. Your loins, that's the strongest part of your body. Your legs, your thighs. He said, I want you to have that stability that the truth gives to your life. He said, you're going to have to feast upon truth. You're going to have to hold fast to truth. You're going to have to know truth so that you can stand and be stable. He goes on further and he said, put on the breastplate of righteousness. He's not talking about the Lord's righteousness that was imputed at salvation, not positional righteousness, but practical righteousness. He's saying every day you need to live holy, you need to live clean, and you need to live right so that your conscience is pure 
pure and undefiled. Live a holy life. You'll go on down through the pieces of, he said, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. He's saying be ready to tell everybody out there that Jesus saves. He says in verse number 17, we'll get back to 16, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. He said you want to guard your head with that salvation. Don't let doubt creep in. Don't let depression get a hold of it. Don't let your circumstances make you believe that you're not saved. You've got to guard your mind with your salvation testimony in the wicked day. And then he said the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. He's not talking about you just carrying around a book. He's talking about a book carrying you around. He's not just saying hold it in your hand. He's saying hide it in your heart. It's more than just logos written down words. He's talking about voiced audible words. He's saying like Christ in his temptation. You got to know some Bible so you can quote it when the devil comes knocking at your door. So here's what Paul is saying. Every day you've got to get up and go to the spiritual armory because there is a battle raging. You can't deny that it's raging. You can't tell me that it's not. We can look at what's happening in our churches and in our families and see the battle is on. So he said, here's what you do every day. Go to that armory and get out these things. He said, I want you to get that. Uh, make sure your loins are good about with truth. So I'll go there and I'll grab truth out and wrap myself up in the truth. He said, then you better guard your heart. You better make sure you're living holy. So put on that breastplate of righteousness. So I grab it and then I put it on. Then he said, you need something for your shoes. You got to cover your feet. So I put on the gospel and I'm a ready soul winner to preach the gospel. Then he said, you got to guard your mind. So put on the helmet of salvation. If you know you're saved, it really doesn't matter what else comes or goes. You got an anchor in salvation knowing heaven is your home and this world will soon be over with. Then I got to go back to the armory and I get that sword of the spirit. I get the word of God and everywhere I go, I take some Bible with me. And when I'm feeling blue, I quote the scripture. And when I'm attacked, I quote the scripture. And when I doubt, I quote the scripture. But watch it now. Here's what he says. With all of those necessary and vital pieces of armor, he says in verse 16, yeah, but above all, he's saying preeminently, he's saying more importantly, he's saying so necessary, he said you've got to have higher than all the rest, you must take the shield of faith. In that big list, this is the biggest. In that great list, this is the greatest. In that important list, this is the most preeminent and important thing, foremost and finally, above all, you must have faith. If you don't have faith, truth won't do any good. If you don't have faith, righteousness won't be doing you any good. If you don't have faith, the Word of God won't do you any good. So above all, he said, you've got to take faith in a pagan city, in the shadow of idolatry, in that progressive situation, in that evil day, above all those things. You better have faith. And here's why. Because you have an adversary. Look what he says here just in the verse. Wherewithal you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's a good name for that guy. Wicked. I want to go on record. You can quote me if you want to. I hate the devil. I hate everything that he does. 
I hate everything he does to me personally and you. I hate everything he does to our nation. I hate what he does to our churches. Can I say the devil's a real enemy? He is a ruthless enemy and he's a relentless enemy. The Bible said he walks about like a roaring lion. In Job it said he was running to and fro. He was on the road searching up and down for a Christian to torment. Can I say he's doing the same thing today? You better mark her down. There's not a God in heaven on the throne unless there's a devil who's destined for hell. You can't choose one without the other. And there is a devil tonight and he hates your guts and he hates my guts and he'd like to shipwreck my life and shipwreck your life and that's why it's so important tonight that you and I learn to live by faith and not by sight above all you've got to have faith because there is an adversary and his testimony is he is wicked he's at the root of it all he's, he's the blame for all the tears and all the bloodshed and all the divorce and all the mess in this world I say shame on the devil but here's this tactic the Bible said you can quench all this fiery darts boy God used this in my life this week I thought about this you know what a fiery dart is a fiery dart is not meant to kill the soldier a fiery dart is meant to kill everything around him the devil's sly the Bible said the wiles of the devil if you think about it back in those times when they'd use their bow and arrow and shoot a fiery dart that fiery dart might not even be directed right at the soldier, but if it would catch the canvas near him or a pile of hay near him or land in his home, it would light a little secondary fire that would get him distracted from the primary enemy. And he'd find himself so busy trying to put out all these little foolish fires that he'd let down his defense and the enemy could kill him in a hurry. Can I tell you, this week and last week, I had a lot of fiery darts starting little stinking fires in my life. You look up here and say, boy, I bet you there's a lot of pressure in that seat. There is a lot of pressure in that seat, but there's a lot of pressure in this one, too. And all the rest of them. You say, what's a fiery dart? It's not meant to take you down. It's meant to take your family. It's meant to take your ministry. Maybe it's meant to take your joy. So that it weakens you and the next one's for you. You better watch out for fiery darts. You say, what's a fiery dart? It's an unnecessary text message that gets you in the wrong frame of mind. What's a fiery dart? It's a worthless conversation that didn't need to be aired. That gets you bitter or gossiping or something like that. What's a fiery dart? It could be a disease that creeps into your family. And you don't handle it the right way. What's a fiery dart? It could be a friend that gets used in the wrong fashion. Everybody all right? What's a fiery dart? It's a secondary fire to distract you from the primary attack. And can I say, Christian, that's why it's so... I bet you, preacher, more people have gotten out of church because they didn't handle the fiery darts right. They started running all over the place trying to put out these little fires that were nothing more than distractions. The devil said, well, I can't get him yet, but if I can get his home, I can get him. Can't get her yet, but if I can get her joy, then I can get her. I can't, I can't get that school or that, that young person into school like, like this, but I can get him like that, which will open the door for this. Right now, you can probably make a laundry, laundry list of fiery darts that just popped in your head from the Holy Spirit of God while I've been preaching. Man, I get it all the time. I almost hate to answer text messages from preacher friends who want to give me advice on what to do with my life. Say amen right there. Yes, 
or how stupid I am for this, that, or the other. You know what that does? It'll take me about three days, Pastor, to get over that. I get over it after three days, but for those three days, I tell you what, I'm a mess. Not on the outside, but I am on the inside. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Everson? Have you ever got somebody trying to be a help to you? That's not help to me. <laughs> if, I need, if I wanted you to play Holy Ghost in my life, I would have invited you in. Say amen right there. So you know what I must do? Take the shield of faith. You know what a shield is? A shield is something that can be moved to guard against wherever is being fired at. That breastplate is stuck. Shoes are fixed. Shield can move. So if the devil decides to shoot at my family, I can, shoot, I can move faith there. If he tries to shoot at my job or whatever you want to call it, I put faith right there. If he tries to shoot at a friendship, I can put faith in there. And then if he, if he does hone in on me and says, I think I'm going to get him in his joy, I can lift faith right there, cover my heart. He said, I can't get him in his joy. Let me get him in his thinking. Because can I tell you, most of the battle that we fight is not with anybody on the outside. It's with us. We're so schizophrenic, it's not even funny. All five of me get in that kitchen. He said, so I can't get him in his mind. So, in his, so he'll get me, try to get me in the mind. So I can lift faith up there. What is faith? Faith is this. We've already said it's believing in God. You say, what is a shield? A shield is a defense. But I want you to notice, and I'll, I'll just give you this and we'll close. We, I'll, I'll try to get done early or on time, so let me give it to you. Think about this. The verse reveals the dominance of faith because he says, above all. Faith is the preeminent weapon for the child of God. You know what I love about that? I love that God gives us the gift of faith and tells us to use our faith and exercise our faith. But I love it that we can strengthen each other's faith. Man, I tell you, I got some on-time interaction this week from some of you that just helped me and you didn't even know. You know what you did? Strengthen my shield. But then not just the dominance of faith, the defense of faith. A shield is just something that gets in between you and danger. That's when you need to put faith up. And then I like this, the dynamic of faith. He said, because if you use faith, you can quench not some, but all those fiery darts. He said, there's not a single fiery dart in the arsenal of the devil that can overcome faith if you use faith properly. Now, you want to shield your children from things that would unnecessarily make them nervous. Or, but Christian, you and I need to know that we are in a battle tonight. And it is a constant battle. And the devil is slick, and he knows, I can't get him maybe with alcohol, and I might not get him with drugs, and I might not get him running around or whatever else, but I can get him with that. And I tell you what you and I better have in these last days, above all, you better have faith. Not just this little wishy-washy, well, I believe in everything, but I'm talking about total confidence that we can stand in the strength, the power of his might, and we can withstand. And having done all, we'll just keep on standing in faith. I don't know what the need is in your life. God does, and he'll take care of that. I just preach what he tells me to. But tonight, if you've got something, you can say, you know what, that was a fiery dart, and I didn't realize it till tonight. That's what happened to me. While I was studying to preach to you, God preached to me. I shouted at my breakfast table. I told Pastor, I said, I shouted out loud, and I realized what in the world's going on in my life. Fiery darts. If that's you tonight, you ought to get it right. 
by just coming down and confessing it. So you know what, Lord, I've been distracted. I've been knocked off course. Help me to take that shield of faith. Because, listen, if you don't have faith, the rest of it won't help you a bit. You won't even use the rest of it if you don't have faith. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.